In many ways, we're like a mischief of rats, just trying to stay afloat. But the prophet Isaiah has a message of hope for us, one about a way that is made plain through the darkness that we live in. I'm Pastor Jason Marnett, and this is the Dirt Pastor Podcast. Journeying on this dirt path called life can leave you beaten, bruised, and defeated. Our hearts crave a reason to keep going, and our minds seek something to make sense of it all. This is why I explore the depths of the Bible with real Jesus as that hope and the one who holds our answers. This is a sermon podcast of my weekly sermon at the Ravenna Church in Nazarene, located in Ravenna, Kentucky. Hope is an important feeling. Years ago, a group of scientists wanted to see how important. So they gathered two sets of lab rats. Uh, This is where I learned that a group of lab rats, or a group of rats at all, is called a mischief. Such an appropriate name for for a group of rats. And whenever a group of rats get together, all that they cause is mischief. So it's just appropriate to call them a mischief. But anyway, uh, the mischiefs were placed in their own tub tubs full of water. Mischief one was dropped in and left to swim for their lives. While mischief two, they were periodically rescued and placed back in the water. What's interesting though is within an hour, the entirety of mischief one drowned. But mischief two was able to swim for over 24 hours. Why? What was the difference? Mischief, mischief one had no hope. They had no relief. They had no belief that help would, would come. All they had to rely on was their own strength and their own ability. But mischief two, they knew that if they could somehow keep going and stay afloat, relief would come. At some point, someone's going to come and scoop them up out of the water. That is the power of hope. There may be some listening that feel like a rat, like a rat trying to stay afloat. Whether you know it or not, there is hope. Some some of them may be swimming, fully knowing there is hope, but it's hard to remember as the water rises around you. It's hard to remember when your body is feeling the cold and the numbness that the water brings. But the passage we will be looking at today reminds us that hope Reminds us that hope is available to us, that there's hope out there. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1 through 10, which is really the entire chapter. The wilderness and dry land will be glad. Desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and steady the shaking knees. Say to the cowardly, be strong. Do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool, and the thirsty land springs. In the haunt of jackals in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. A road will be there, and a way, it, it will be called the holy way. 
The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. There will be no lion there and no vicious beast will go up on it. They will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk on it. And the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, before we can dig into chapter 35 and how this applies to us in the message, we have to understand why this message of hope is so important and why God would have the prophet Isaiah share this. And you can kind of get an idea when you glance at Isaiah 34. And Isaiah 34 reveals a devastating prophecy. Destruction was coming, and it would be so complete that nothing would remain. The land, the land was that was fertile at this point, it was settled, it was inhabited, it would become an empty and deserted wilderness. Now, this destruction was coming as a result of sin. God and his ways had been disregarded. And sin in this case was a was a national failure. And, and, and as often the case, the innocent would be swept along with the wicked as judgment was delivered. And one of the things I used to share with teenagers often was that your sin doesn't just affect you. There's a ripple effect. It impacts everyone around you, whether they're innocent or not. And when, when a whole nation sins and has turned its back on God, it, it's going to impact those who are living for him as well. Now it's with that backdrop we dig into Isaiah 35. Now there's nothing glorious or good about judgment. Death and destruction are, are not things to be applauded or celebrated. That's really why God gets upset with Lot's wife, right? Remember in the book of Genesis, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's essentially grabbed Lot and his wife and kids by the hand and is dragging them out of the city for their own safety. And the one advice that the angel gives to them is to not look back. And that advice is given because God's judgment is not a spectacle for us to watch and celebrate like it's some cool thing. It's a, it's a tragedy. It's a, it's a moment of mourning. And that's why Lot's wife is turning to a pillar of salt because she looked back. But anyway, that's where God's people were at. That's where they were headed. This destruction was going to come. But one peculiar thing that would come out of it, once the dust was settled, there would no longer be anything that clouded reality. Being able to recognize the truth reveals hope. And with everything else out of the way, all the things that were distracting them before, they would be able to see the truth. And in that truth, they would find the hope. That's why the, the writer here pins in verse 1, the desert will rejoice and blossom like a flower. The desert in this case isn't necessarily the land, but it's a heart. It's a heart in the aftermath of judgment. And like the land would be, this heart is, is like a desert. It's lonely. It's empty. But in this case, the heart comes alive knowing there is hope in the glory of God. And that's what the writer points is, is saying in verse 2. The desert's going to, well, in verse 1, the desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildfire. Why? Because in verse 2, it tells us 
because they will see the glory of the Lord in the splendor of our God. Now, in verse 3, God tells Isaiah to tell the people, strengthen the weak hands and steady the shaking knees. And then a little further down in verse 4, it says, say to the cowardly, be strong and do not fear. The fearful can find strength in knowing that God would come to save them. Fear would steal their hope and keep them from remembering this truth. That's why God tells the prophet to tell him, hey, calm, calm those who are afraid. Fear robs us. Fear, fear steals things from us. Uh, it, when we're afraid, we don't see things as, cl- as clearly. We panic. Even if we know what the truth is, oftentimes we forget it because of fear. So God is telling them, hey, strengthen those that are afraid. Stop the weak hands and stop the shaking knees. Know that God's coming to save you. Now, when the weak hands are strengthened and and the knees made to stop shaking, God's glory can be seen. And God's glory will transform things. And so that when you move into verses 5 and 7, you begin to see what the glory of God does when it is seen and noticed and allowed to, to work, right? So first it tells us that, that the ears and eyes will be opened. The ears will be able to hear God's voice. And the eyes will see the need to heed his ways. They'll be able, the eyes will be able to see the image of hope that once was a mirage, but now that mirage has become a reality. It's truthful. It's not just some wishful thinking. No, it's going to be the reality because why? Because they see the glory of God. That's what's talking about here when it's talking about, let's see, the, the eyes will be open, or the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. God's glory is transforming the reality. It's transforming what the heart sees and and how it's experiencing things. Now, verse 7 is fun because, again, it's it's continuing God's transformation, but it's fun for me because I'm a nerd and I like to study study the Word. Verse 7, it says, The parched ground will become a pool and and the thirsty land will become springs. In the haunt of jackals and in their lairs, there will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. Now, what makes this fun is that the KJV translates the phrase haunt of jackals as habitation of dragons. I think that's fun because it's talking about dragons in the Bible. Uh, you know, uh, again, I'm not sure why the KJV chooses that phrase or, or why the CDSB goes that way. Because what, what makes this interesting, and again, what makes it fun to, for me, is when the word is used in other places, again, at least with the KJV, it's translated as sea monster, dragon, serpent, or other water-based creatures. So I'm not entirely sure why the CSB here decides to go with the word jackal. I'm not a Bible scholar. I, I, you know, I don't know those things for sure, but for whatever reason, they go with them. But in the, in, in the end, I don't think it really matters. The point that's being made in this verse is this land that had become desolate, that was only was a place for predators to go and rest right, and make their home. You know, that's what a jackal is. It's, it's a predator, and definitely what we would imagine of dragons is that they were predators as well. 
But once what once was only a place inhabitable for them is now a place where those full of hope can live and, and, and dwell. It's where they can survive. Because they have hope. So regardless, the point is that what once was an an environment suitable for jackals or dragons is no longer that way. God has transformed it. Now, verse eight, it tells so. So that's what God's glory does. It transforms. That's that's what comes out of this. But this is what it also does. Verse eight says, "A road will be there, and a way it it will be called the holy way." The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for the one who walks the path. Fools will not wander on it. That last phrase is saying the way is made plain. It's not saying that fools won't be there, which is true. Fools aren't going to be on this pathway because they aren't going to accept what's been made plain. But when it's saying fools won't wander it, it's because the path is that obvious. The directions on that path are plain to see and understand. Anyone who seeks this path will find it and be able to walk in it. That's what's being said here. So this, so verse 8, this, high, this, this, this holy way or the highway of holiness it is a way made plain for everybody to see. It's not a secret. It's out in the open to be discovered. Now, verse 9 and 10 tells us, says, this is the way of those who are redeemed. So this heart that was living in this lonely, empty place has now come to life because of the glory of God. God's glory has transformed us. So the eyes could see, the ears could hear, the lame could walk, and the, and the tongue of the mute will sing and joys. And the places were once considered unhavable, now that heart can abide there because of God's glory has transformed the heart in that circumstance. And because the, the hope that comes with that, they're able to, 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 to find this way that's been made plain because of that hope and, that, it's, it, and that, that, that they're led there. And this is now in verses 9 and 10, it's telling us this is the way of those who were redeemed. Theologian Gene M. Tucker defined the term redeemed as a term that comes to the realm of family law and refers to buying back someone from slavery, a person or property from debt. So people would get into debt and they would be forced to either sell themselves into slavery to pay back that debt or they would be forced to sell their family property or their inheritance in order to fulfill that debt, which that goes against the laws of God's people. Whatever land that they were given as an inheritance was meant to be their land. So someone would have to come back and redeem that land. Uh, but anyway, what's speaking of here is the redeems are those who by faith recognize it, recognize it is God who bought them back. It's God who renews their strength because of their hope in him. The way of the redeem is the way of hope found in the holiness. This is the way to a life of rejoicing. That's what verse 10 alludes us to. If you walk this, if you're able to get upon this plain defined pathway, following, it's because of the hope of God and the strength that that hope gives you from God. And when once you're on it, once you have that strength and that hope, you will go on your way rejoicing and celebrating 
sorrow and sighing will flee because of the hope that you have in God. Now, what I do like about this is that um, that it doesn't promise us that following God is going to be easy. It does tell us there will be no beast there and no vicious beast will go up on it. So there's not, there's not going to be a wild thing that will be able to stop you or destroy you. But that doesn't mean the way is not going to be easy. It's going to be full of challenges and difficulties. But what's different now is you have the hope that comes from the strength. or You have strength based on the hope of God. And that's going to sustain you as you walk this way when it leads you through those difficult times and, and winds you through those paths of darkness. All right, so how, how does all this apply to you and me? Well, this way of life, that you know, this way of life, remember I said it would be made plain. I was talking about the whole the highway of holiness or the, the, the holy way here. The way of hope would not be a secret. That's what Isaiah is telling these people who are about to go into exile. You know, for us trying to stay afloat, that sounds like good news. Good news that that is available to you and me. And as plain as Isaiah made it to the people of God here, for you and I today, this way is made even more plain. It's it's more it's 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 even less of a secret than it was when Isaiah shared it. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6 again. It says, God God is coming. He will save you. The eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched land will become a pool. The thirsty land springs and the haunt of jackals in their lairs. There will be grass, reeds, and papyrus. What I find interesting about those those three verses right there is if you go and read in the Gospel of Matthew, there's an interesting scenario that takes place. John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist was to be the one that made way for for Jesus to come. Jesus, you know, he was going to prepare the way. He was gonna, he was going to go ahead of him preaching the gospel and, and doing a baptism of repentance. But at this point in the Gospel of Matthew. John the Baptist finds himself in prison. And after he's arrested, he seeks to verify that Jesus is the Messiah. He wants to know for sure. And so in Matthew 11, he sends a group to ask Jesus, Hey, are you you the one? And this is what Jesus responds. He says, The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. Jesus is telling John the Baptist, God has arrived. Jesus is pointing to John all the signs that verify that God has arrived. Similar to the very ones that are laid out in Isaiah 35, verses 5, 6, and 7. Jesus is saying the the proof of my identity is plain for you to see. You and I can know Jesus is the way of hope because of what Jesus performed when he was doing ministry. 
And, and if that makes it, makes it clear, then the way it was made abundantly clear when Jesus died on the cross. It was made clearer when he rose again from the dead. All that remains is when Jesus returns in a like manner to call the redeemed to himself. Now for a mistress of rats trying to tread water, Jesus is our hope. He is our way through this mess. In any and every situation, his hope gives us the strength to keep going. If you're going through your, the fall funk, your hope is in Jesus. Keep pressing. If you're lonely and broken and scared, Jesus is your hope. Hold on. Whatever it is, whatever you face, whatever the darkness that is challenging you, hold on to your hope in Jesus because it will give you the strength to get, keep going. If you get knocked down, it will give you the strength to get back up. As I was getting ready for this message, I came across this quote from John Wesley, and it says, You ministers of the gospel, comfort and encourage God's people who are now ready to faint. And those words of Wesley, they, they kind of echo what the writer of Hebrews had to say when, when, when they wrote, Therefore strengthen your tired hands and weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Ultimately, what Wesley is saying and what the scripture is saying, ultimately my job from the pulpit is to share the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus has the power to strengthen you with hope for each and every day, no matter what it is you're facing. If you're treading, wa treading water while, while looking for hope, hold on to Jesus because he's coming. Don't let go. Keep searching. You, you, have, you have made it to the pathway. You're on it. You're on that way made plain. So keep looking for him and, and you will realize his hope will sustain you and his hope will guide you. But keep holding on to that hope. If you, if you know this already, but the water is getting to you, Remember, Jesus is coming. Hold on. It's because he lives. You and I can face any and every tomorrow. Jesus is our hope. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pastorman Podcast. Is recorded live at the Ravenna Church of the Nazarene, located at 530 Main Street in Ravenna, Kentucky. Our theme song is The Dirt Path by Jeremy Edwards. Be sure to visit the Podcast.com where you can leave me a message, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and find daily devotional videos.